Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I count it a privilege to be able to present this episode to you. In Matthew chapter 12, an individual who was possessed by a demon was brought to the Lord Jesus. Because of this possession, the man was blind and unable to speak. Jesus healed this man, cast the demon out of him, and restored his sight and his speech. In verse 24 of Matthew 12, we find, But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. In other words, they said that the miraculous ability that Jesus demonstrated was not evidence that God was with him. It was evidence that Satan was with him. Well, Jesus went on and showed the ridiculousness of their accusation and would indeed label what they did as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We skip on down to verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 12, where we find Jesus saying, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this age or in the age to come. I want to focus our attention on the last two phrases of verse 32, either in this age or in the age to come. Some translations translate that as neither in this world, neither in the world to come. The very same expression is found, or at least the same kind of expression, is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, where Paul wrote, which he wrought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Well, that got me to thinking. And I took out my old Young's Analytical Concordance to the Bible and found that the word translated as world or age appears in Scripture at least 271 times. Each time the word world or age appears, it has reference to one of two worlds, those two worlds about which the Bible speaks. It either refers to this world or the world to come, to this age or the age to come. My friends, this world is the present age. It is the time in which we are living, it is now. The world to come is the eternal age. It is that which will be. This world will end. In Matthew 13, as Jesus gave the parable of the tares, he said in verse 40, so just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. However, the world to come will never end. 
I remember when the Sadducees thought that they had trapped Jesus with their question about the woman in the resurrection who had been married to seven brothers. In Luke chapter 20, verses 34 through 36, we find Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore. In the world to come, we will live on and on. It will never end, and we will never cease to be. What I want to do for the remainder of our time in this episode is to talk about some of the things that the Bible has to say about this world, this present age in which we live, and our relationship to it if we are a child of God, if we are a faithful Christian. Now, when talking about this world, I know of three different ways the Bible uses the word. Sometimes the word simply refers to the material world upon which we live and walk. In other words, it sometimes refers to the material things, creation. A good example of this is found in Hebrews 11 and verse 3, where the Hebrew writer wrote, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Sometimes the word is used to refer to the people who live on the earth. Remember John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He wasn't writing about the trees and rocks and so forth. He was talking about us. He was talking about the people who make up the world. And then sometimes the word is used with reference to the evil of the world to that on earth which is opposed to God and righteousness. Probably the best known usage in that sense is found in 1 John 2.15 where John wrote, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It is in that last sense of the word, the evil of this world, let's call it this present evil age that I want to talk about in this episode and specifically the relationship of a Christian to it. John went on in 1 John 2 and defined what he meant by the things in the world. In verse 16 he wrote, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. Peter talked about the corruption that is in the world through lust and he wrote of the pollutions of the world and the possibility of a Christian becoming entangled again in them and overcome. Do you realize, my friends, that the Bible speaks of this present evil world having a ruler to whom its citizens are subject? This ruler is the devil. Jesus referred to him as the prince of this world. Paul called him the God, little g, of this world, and John wrote that the whole world lies in the evil one. Now we need to talk about this, and most especially we need to talk about our proper relationship to what really is the kingdom of the devil. First, as a true child of God, a faithful Christian, we are not of the world. If we look at John chapter 17 to that beautiful prayer of our Lord Jesus, a prayer I believe was being offered even as Jesus and his apostles were making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. But nonetheless, in verses 14 through 16, Jesus prayed, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. 
they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now I understand that Jesus was speaking immediately and directly of his apostles, but the words apply to every single one of us who has rendered our obedience to the gospel. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Yes, my friends, if we are faithful children of God, faithful Christians, we are in the world, but we must not be of the world. Now, we hear that a lot. But I suspect the most important thing that we can do in this episode is to find out just exactly what that means. How can we be in something but not be of the same thing? And besides that, so what? What does it practically mean? Well, we'll look at a passage such as 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we'll look at verse 2. Paul wrote to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. There are two words in that verse that I believe help us to understand and define what our relationship to this present evil world is supposed to be. The first word is church. It is from the Greek ekklesia, and it means the called out. You see, the church is made up of those who have been called out. But what have we been called out of? Peter says we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul wrote that we have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We have been called out of this present evil world. The other word is sanctified or saint, both of which come from the same word. It is a word that means separated, set apart. The idea is that a person who has been sanctified has been set apart from the world and dedicated or devoted to the service of God. Under the law of Moses, for example, certain instruments were sanctified or set apart to the service of God, the altar, various items used for sacrifice, and so on. These were holy items, never to be defiled or profaned from common usage. To do so was sin. Well, my friends, Christians are holy items, so to speak, set apart for the service of God and never to be profaned or defiled through usage that is common for this present evil world. As Christians, we are at the very same time to be conformist and nonconformist. Is that contradictory? No, not at all. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we read, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to be conformed to the will of God. We are to be molded in his image, walk in his ways. When we do that, we will not be conformed to this present evil age or world. Brethren, in a particular period of Bible history, God called the Jews out of the world to be a separate people. He instructed them not to make covenants with the heathen people, not to intermarry with them, and not to participate in their sins in any way whatsoever. Israel was to be a separate people. They were to be different. 
I am reminded of Isaiah 52 and verse 11 where we find, Depart, depart, go out from there, touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. Let me ask you something. Does that sound familiar? It should because in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through chapter 7 and verse 1, Paul wrote the following. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Of what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The end result of recognizing that we are in the world, but not of the world, the end result of understanding that Christians have been called out of darkness, the end result of understanding that we have been set apart, dedicated and devoted to the service of God, the end result of recognizing that we are to be conformed to the will of God and refuse to be conformed to this present evil world, the end result of recognizing that we are to be a separate people is that we will cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Christians are not to love the world. I want us to look at James chapter 4 and verse 4. It tells us, You adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is no better way to understand the teaching of this verse than to compare it to the book of Hosea. Let me show you what I mean. Jehovah told the prophet in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of the harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. Hosea did that. He married Gomer, and she followed after her lovers and proved to be unfaithful to Hosea time and time again. In this way, God impressed upon Hosea how he, God, felt when his bride, the children of Israel, played spiritual harlotry with items and those things associated with idolatry. James brought this idea into the New Testament, when he branded those who would be friends with the world and still call themselves Christians as adulteresses. The point is, the Christian who tries to be married to God and to have an affair with the world at the same time is a spiritual harlot, is committing spiritual adultery. Our job is to make application of these biblical principles and commands. For instance, I like music. I truly do. In days past, my taste tended more in the direction of what would be called hard rock, but I like a wide variety. But you know what? Sometimes the music that comes on is about things that are just plain not right. Certain songs are filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, and wickedness, and that is from Romans one twenty nine. And Paul says in verse 32 that not only are those who do such things worthy of death, but also those who give hearty approval to those who practice them. 
I just have to turn it off because that is what God wants me to do. When I come home at night, I like to put my brain in neutral and watch some television. Some of it is good, some of it is bad. I need to have my senses exercised by reason of use to discern the difference. That's Hebrews 5.14. I must not watch and listen to things that are not right by choice. In other words, I may see and hear that stuff at work, at the store, at the school, or really have no choice in the matter. But when I am home, I have a choice. God has said that if I'm trying to hold on to the world and to him at the same time, I'm fooling myself because it cannot be done. As a matter of fact, God would view me as a spiritual adulterer if I did. The same is true with books, movies, the internet, and social media, with anything we put in our minds. Let's look at a few passages very quickly. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul wrote, But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, we read, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. What does Paul mean by those statements? Simply this, the one who is a Christian, in becoming a Christian, has voluntarily taken the old man of sin up the hill of Calvary, so to speak, and nailed him to the cross. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Sometimes even those who are Christians just don't understand these points. Perhaps it's because the pull of the world is just so strong that they are not willing to truly cut those strings of attachment. But again, my friends, Christians live here, but we are not of here. In Philippians 3 and verse 20, Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Peter wrote, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. The idea is, this is not our home. On earth we are just strangers, pilgrims, passing through on a heaven-bound journey. Think of the words of Hebrews 11 verses 13 through 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and have confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I want to go to that city. I know its builder and maker is God. But to do that, I'm going to have to treat this world and view this world in the proper way. I cannot cling to it, refusing to let go of those ungodly parts of it that I might like, and expect to go to that home that the Lord has prepared for those who love him. When it comes time for a choice between doing what I know is right and what is clearly ungodly or questionable, and the choices come time and again every day, I pray that we will recognize that this world is not what it is all about. I pray that our faith will be strong enough. John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 the following, 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? These words have tremendous meaning for true, faithful children of God. I hope they benefited you. Thanks for listening.